Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. My engineer really loves that piece. <laughs> Welcome. You know, uh, many in this audience have home offices or, uh, or businesses and converted homes, etc. Um, I, I've often thought of converting my garage into a uh, office, uh, but never got around to it. Uh, we have with us tonight Lance Jensen. He's founder and CEO of Global Garage Flooring and Design. And he's actually uh, sells franchises on this. And we're going to let him talk a little bit about that. But, but uh, first, uh like Lance to tell us a little bit about himself personally before we do anything else. Well, thanks, Don. I appreciate the introduction. Um, yeah, I'm, uh, you know, I'm a classic serial entrepreneur. I was, uh, uh, I remember in uh, high school buying a pop machine that uh, I, uh, I, you know, I bought a used pop machine out of a bowling alley and uh, set it up to sell pop out of, and and uh, it's been one thing or another ever since. Uh, uh, I was a Dairy Queen franchisee for a lot of years uh, when I was very young. I, I started a Dairy Queen, built it, and uh, and then since then I've kind of transferred into the franchise world from being a franchisee. I felt like um, there were things that I could offer franchisees on uh, um, that I saw other companies not doing well, and and uh, when you're a business owner, when you're a franchisee, you put your blood, sweat, and tears into uh, uh, your business, and it would be awfully nice to have somebody who uh, who supported that and, and did the same thing and, and had also had your job. And so I transferred to the franchisor side, and, and I spent years as a master licensee, and, and I've developed other concepts. And a couple of years ago, I uh, uh, was looking for a new concept to develop, and I went out looking for a business where the franchisee worked at a job on a daily basis where it was fun. And then I also looked for the, my other criteria was that I wanted a business where the franchisee could also make some money. And uh, I found it Global Garage. So, um, yeah, I've been uh, owning and running uh, uh, small businesses uh, for 30 years, and, and uh uh, it's been uh, it's been a fabulous way to make a living on on most days, and some days, uh, you know, as your audience will know, uh, since most of them own and run their own businesses, uh, some days are better than others. But uh, you know, I wouldn't trade it for the world. Well, you know, um, let's go a little sideways for a minute, Lance. <laughs> our audience, based on our surveys, our audience, fifty nine percent of whom are presidents. And our owners, and, and I, I'm sure most of them have their own business. But what are the advantages and the disadvantages of having, of obtaining a franchise? Can you do it, uh, sum it up a little bit in a couple of minutes? Sure, you bet. Uh, so if I understand your your question correctly, Don, you want to know some of the advantages and disadvantages of owning a franchise? Yes. 
Before we go okay. further. Because, yeah, you bet. But, I mean, I've been in the franchise business for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, it's uh, I, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. I've seen them 100 times, but it's like 95, maybe 97% of franchises survive the first five years. Uh, and it's like the numbers are like 30 or 40% for independent businesses if they're that high. There's a very, very good reasons why those numbers are are that are skewed that way. It's because somebody already did the prototype, um, and you there are just when you get into business for yourself. There's a million little nuances. There's a million little different things that, in the way you operate that business on a day-to-day basis, and you start at a much, much higher level as a franchisee than you do in an independent business. And and uh, so I think that's some of the biggest advantages. Um, there are some disadvantages, um, and it depends on, uh, on the business you're in and your personality. Um, if you've found the right business for you, um, you, you probably have some tremendous advantages of being a franchisee. If you've found the wrong business for you, there can be some real disadvantages to it. And the fact that that having the system that you have to operate in, you will find constraining um, if if you just aren't in the right business for you. And the other is if you just have a personality that doesn't work well in systems, um, you will have trouble working inside of a system. But um, you know, there's just a myriad of different franchises out there, all the way from uh, McDonald's or NFL teams to, uh, you know, home-based businesses like Global Garage. And, uh, and and there's a myriad of different things in there. And when you are buying a franchise, make sure you do your, your uh, research well. And, uh, uh, you know, that's a whole other topic that we could dwell on, but, but there's really a systematic way to research franchises, and, and uh, uh, that's something that I really encourage people who are prospective franchisees to do their research very, very well. Well, well you know, uh, we may have you back to, to discuss that because it's one of the questions we get uh, from some of the emails we have. How do you research a franchise? But now... <laughs> Yeah, book me for another show, and and uh, I'll talk your ear off on it. And and uh, I've been through it, uh, been through it a lot. Well, now let's go about Global Garage Flooring. Okay, first, um, uh, tell us a little bit about the, the fran- about the franchise. And uh, I would not think that there are enough garage uh, 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 remodeling. Uh, around to support such a, a, a narrowly focused business, um, but now the floor is yours. <laughs> there's uh, boy, there's a whole lot of demand for it, uh, and uh, so what we do is we remodel garages. So we go in, we do the faux granite stuff on the floor, we do the cabinets and other storage solutions. Um, that's the broad broad stroke of what we do. So it's anywhere from the person who, you know, the garage is the entrance to the home. It's the largest room in the home. It has the best storage. Uh, and the great garage is becoming uh, a thing, right? It, it's uh, This industry started about 15 years ago, and, and the people that were in it at that part time, they had to, they had to explain what the great garage is. Now, most people have friends, family, know, understand, you know, a little bit about the great garage. You don't you don't have to explain what it is. And uh, well, I'm going to have to interrupt you and tell you that up until just this moment, I had not heard of the great garage. So you're going to have to tell me. <laughs> I have to admit, okay, I have a house, but I have a, I have a very old house with a very narrow garage. But I've not heard of the Great Garage, so tell me a little bit about that. <laughs> it will be my pleasure. So the 
you know, kind of traditionally, our garages have had a concrete floor. Uh, it's been a dusty and dirty place. Uh, if if you're organized, you can park your car in it, right? It, uh, uh, it Barely. Is, but it's a yes, ex- exactly. It's uh, a loose place for storage. Well, within the last 15 years, companies like mine have said, "Hey." Wouldn't it be wonderful if the garage was a great place? And uh, so what we do is we go in, and and first and foremost, we are concrete coaters. And so we go in, and we grind the concrete on the floor of the garage, and then we paint it with, we use a chemical called polyaspartic. They're, you know, epoxy is kind of the standard in the business. These polyaspartic that we use, they're three times harder. They have three times the chemical resistance of epoxy. We can get the job in one day, so we go in and bust our tails and, and uh, get the floor completely laid out in one day. And it makes the garage, this flooring, makes this the garage a clean, wonderful, beautiful place. Now we add in really cool cabinets. You know, we have a powder-coated wood cabinet product that is second to none. Uh, we put in storage solutions, so in a hanging uh, hanging storage, ceiling storage is what we call it. And uh, we do things like that, that that not only beautify the garage, but it makes it organized. It makes it um, a place where you want to be. And people do all kinds of elaborate things. You know, they'll have, uh, we'll put inlays in the floor, uh, uh, I'm in Seattle, Washington, and, and uh, of course, the Seahawks took the uh, Patriots on in the Super Bowl this year. And, of course, in Boston, I laid a, uh, uh, a Patriots logo down on the floor. And, and uh, uh, of course, that was brought back to my attention after the Super Bowl. <laughs> uh, you know, people put TVs in them. They put pool tables in them. It, it becomes a, a, a congregating place. Uh, people put in just fabulous work workbenches and, and uh, tools and, and become uh, a really neat places to work on uh, any any number of hobbies, uh, cars included. So that kind of summarizes what the great garage is. And now, okay. Uh, now I'm a potential franchisee, and. Okay. Uh, um, do you go for suburban areas, urban areas? How do you, how, uh, what is the makeup of your franchises, and where do they find their best customers? You bet. So we find suburban areas are the best. Um, upper middle income uh, is kind of our niche place. You know, if you're going to spend uh, if you're going to spend two or three thousand dollars on the floor of your garage. You probably have a little bit more disposable money than than uh, people with lower incomes, and so um, you know it's not a product that's so expensive that it's out of reach of the middle class. And uh, uh, but that's our our typical our typical client is middle to upper middle income. We do some fabulous homes for very very wealthy individuals, but that's not. You know that's kind of not our niche. It's uh, it, it's basically uh, uh, middle class and, and upper middle income people in suburbia. Those are and uh, and we do work in in uh, urban areas and in all kinds of other places. But um, that's our that's our mainstay. We're looking for those upper middle income suburban areas. Well, how do you identify potential? Uh, new clients. Do you have a marketing plan? Uh, <laughs> we happen to know a little bit about marketing. <laughs> um, so marketing comes, you know, the, the, the marketing, there's first there's the marketing program. So that's where you place advertisements to get people to answer, you know, to, to call you, right? So you might take out an ad in those, um, you know, the little trade magazines that you get where, you know, the, the kitchen guy's in there and the bath guy's in there and the gutter guy's in there and the deck guy's in there. Those publications we often uh, uh, publish our uh, our advertisements in. 
Um, we do, do you know, work? Google Ad. I'm sorry, what's that? Do those type of um, of uh, little magazines work? It's ironic. I got a question about that just today. Uh, yes. On um, yes, and uh, and it depends. It's like all marketing. Some of it works. Some of it doesn't work. And you have to keep experimenting with it. You have to keep trying it. You have to keep refining what you do. And um, as uh, anybody who's spent a lot of time in marketing, you know, they'll, they'll know there's, uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of work behind a good marketing plan. Um, and that's that's kind of one of the avenues. You know, we do the, you know, we work the internet uh, very heavily, not only from SEO sides, but uh, from the pay-per-click sides and things like that. Um, we will do shows, you know, home shows, car shows, things like that. Um, and then there's the networking side. And, and the real difference between the good and great franchises is their ability to network. So your ability to get the builders to uh, uh, put our garages in their homes, you know, work with interior designers, realtors, people like that. Um, and, and then there's what we call our guerrilla marketing plan. So trying to get to close more deals from the leads you get and then to get their friends and family and, and neighbors and so forth to become aware of what they've done and who did it for them. And, uh, um, uh, you know, it's we have, we have a whole plan surrounding that, and we work hard at it. Well, they, you know, it's kind of this is kind of a classic home-based business, and home-based. One of the problems with home-based businesses is nobody walks in the front door. You got to go out and get that uh, get that customer, and uh, the person that cannot do that well is not fitted for this franchise. They need to do you know they need to keep looking. And these are, these are we talked about research processes earlier, and these are some of the things that you have to identify in yourself. Uh, before purchasing a franchise. Well, uh, one of the advantages, uh, if if a, a franchisee comes up with an idea, you have uh, you have the ability to share it with the other franchisees. That's what I've found. <laughs> yes, that's that's one of the. Um, uh, that's one of the hallmarks of great franchisors is they are good at helping their franchisees help each other. They're good at taking taking good ideas and disseminating and working them into their systems. Um, and it, it's a lot uh, it's a lot easier said than done uh, uh, because as franchisors, there's always this. Um, uh, there's always this argument going on between enforcing the system and ensuring that the uh, franchisees are working within the system and then helping the system evolve to continue to be better. Um, and only the best franchisors are able to do that. Well, I don't know if you're aware, but I was publisher of Income Opportunities ma uh, magazine. Many years okay, ago. Okay, I was not aware of that. Um, uh, uh, and that was a magazine right in, in that area. So uh, I know a little bit, uh, enough about franchising to be dangerous. Um, <laughs> uh, um, Lance, uh, I have to invite you back. We have to talk more. I see our next guest is ready to come on board. I can give you the option if you want to st stick around. And uh, listen in, and if you have anything uh, to, to contribute to, I'd love for you to stay on and uh, 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 just join us if you think you, um, you have something to contribute. Okay, I'd be happy to. Uh, all right, hold hold on one second. Um, I'm having trouble with our board right now, but there it goes. Well, our next guest is Eric Avila. He has, over the, over the past 10 years, grown his coaching from a handful of kids to more than 1,000 kids. And I'm really looking forward to this. 
this is a program I look forward to with Lance and now with Eric. Are you there, Eric? Yes, I am. Thank you for having me on. Well, uh, look, any man that can help a thousand children, we want on our program. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. I think they helped me more. Well, don't they teach you? What is it that uh, uh, they teach us rather than we teach them? Yeah, that's true. And uh, sometimes, you know, they say um, the teacher appears. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. But I do think in some cases it was the um, the, the I appeared and then the student the student appeared to help me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're on with Lance Jensen, who I've found fascinating. Uh, but uh, we ask, always ask our guests uh, uh, the first question we ask, and you have a particular background, a little bit about their personal background before we get into anything else. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. My name's Eric Avila. I own a company called Avila Creative Soccer. Um, basically, we teach children to play soccer, and we, we try to do that really brilliantly. And it's indoor. This is Texas, so it's pretty hot. One thing, um, soccer is a sport that's really come of age in the United States, and it's a sport that's important for children, and it's social. Um, my parents are social workers, so I think on a personal note, that's something that helped me a lot because they gave me a sociological lens. And kids need that sort of alternative today where, you know, a program that's based on, you know, having fun and participation and not just about power and performance. Well, also, also don't you, but Eric, aren't you uh, a past heavily involved as a player in soccer? Oh, uh, yes. I definitely did um, come to it from uh, the professional soccer point of view. I played World Cup qualifiers in Puerto Rico. Um, and I did some stints in Argentina and Buenos Aires and London, Liverpool, uh, Vinteswag, Holland. Um, I also studied sports science, so I, I, I have an academic background. Um, however, I still think that my mom and dad, um, Sylvia and Peter, who are both sociologists, have really given me the greatest gift in terms of kind of constructing this business and working with children. Um, because sports are mechanisms of socialization. Well, you know, uh, it's interesting. Uh, I'm a lot older than you guys. Uh, uh, I don't know about Lance, but I'm older. And soccer, um, uh, soccer w was never the sport of, of America. But now uh, when I pass the uh, fields, uh, wherever I go, soccer seems to be taking on uh uh, more and more. It's also influenced because so many Latinos have come to the States. You, uh, uh, have you seen that, and is that part of the reason you do this? Okay, but not just soccer. All the sports uh, have changed, even uh, sports from the 1920s. Like it. There's a great famous golfer, Bobby Jones, who was an amateur. The golfers who were famous in the 60s, like Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas, who were professionals and made millions of dollars from things like Nike and Adidas, they still say that guy was their childhood hero. And, and, and people swear by that, that he was one of the greatest ever. And that's something that all sports have lost, is this sort of innocence. Um, and today, sports is a lot about business, uh, much more than it is simply like an aspect of social life. Mm -hmm. But, but why have we not developed a superstar in hawker, in, ho in soccer uh, today? Well, I, I think one thing you mentioned is it showed up late, it, and, and people um, who first came here were not encouraged. It's about 80 years behind the other sports that were invented in America, and the people who first came here were not encouraged to sort of um, bring their soccer. They were encouraged to assimilate and play American sports. So that's one of the main reasons. It's just just behind you know, the other sports that were invented here. Well, um, let's go a little bit. Uh, what about the boys and girls? Uh, I've noticed that there's almost as many uh, girl leagues as there are boys leagues. Uh, are you seeing that as well? Yeah, and that's a credit to the United States of America because really – 
you can look at the history of the suffragette movement in 1920s, then in 1971 or 73, I think, this whole sort of um, Title IX legislation, which said you had to use equal um, amounts of money and resources for women's sports. Then what happens is later on we see the 91ers as the first sort of famous American female soccer players who became role models. So um, there are so many women um, sports, you know, it's so much bigger in the United States, but it's because of the legislation that's been passed. I don't know that we'll ever see gender equity in sports, though, until we see more women in positions of authority. Okay. Now, let's, since we're a small business uh, site, uh, let's talk about your business. You you started out with uh, uh, 10, 10 or 15 kids, and now you do 1,000, and you have three facilities. Tell us a little bit about your business. Well, <laughs> I, I like I said, I was born with this passion for soccer, and I guess um, you know, that's something that any CEO or any person who's an entrepreneur, they do have to have a passion um, and, and a vision. So that's something that I kind of had for me, going for me. Um, and I, to be honest, it was raining, and I, I, I noticed I was making some money, and I, it, it started raining for three weeks. I just wanted to get out of the rain, and I, I figured I guess I need to put a roof over my head. Everything I learned in business, though, I kind of learned it like that organically. Like I didn't know about putting a roof over my head so I could stop getting rained on that I would actually be starting a business. Well, you know, it's ironic because before you joined us, Lance was saying one of the advantages of franchising was that it, uh, it helps you avoid mistakes. There's a, there's a great example for you, Lance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I heard that. I heard that, and I think that's true. I made so many mistakes. If it wasn't for the fact of the support of my family, the support of the fact that soccer is business, sports are business. You know, and 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 Calvin Coolidge, American president, you know, kind of said it best: the business of America is business. So, <laughs> the fact that I took a sports franchise and uh, not franchise—it's not a franchise—but the fact that I kind of thought about it as a business and and said to myself, well, what, what, you know, what 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 could I do differently, you know, um, and offer an alternative is, you know, it's been fortunate that I picked this field because I've made so many mistakes. But it's a field that's coming of, come of age, and there's so many people playing. Well, just give us what you consider your, your worst mistake. Then we'll ask you what was your best uh, decision. So, what was your worst oh, mistake? Oh, well, just not understanding margins. Um, you need cash. Um, I I didn't understand how to get simple things like a loan. And after um, what happened, you know, with the uh, subprime home um, loan mortgage crisis. Um, I guess in in oh seven and oh eight, I guess conventional loans became very difficult to come by, you know, and you know, and 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 I think that I learned I, in my case I was able to get help from friends and my family, um, but also I went to direct lenders because I I actually used uh, merchant cash and capital, but um, I needed cash quickly at times. They helped me with that. Um, so I had to learn tricks like that. So my greatest um, mistake was just not anticipating that, wow, I'm making all this money, but in fact I was also spending a lot of money, not understanding the margins. Well, let me go to Lance for a minute because I, I do know that in franchising, you do look at the financial financials of any potential franchisee. Is that a, a way of uh, ensuring uh, the biggest reason companies fail in the first five years is lack of financing. Is that one of the advantages of franchising? Yeah, one of the big advantages of franchising is that you have an entity that helps coach you through the financial side. Um, and and so you're able to take a look at, you know, I can take a look at somebody's financials and, and understand whether they're capable of uh, making the investment or not and uh, uh, and then supporting it because, uh, you know, it, it takes time, effort, energy, and money and passion to drive a business. And um, 
that uh, that financial piece is uh, is a really really important part of it. And uh, uh, you know, like Eric found out, loans aren't uh, aren't as easy to come by as they were uh, ten years ago. And uh, um, so, uh, yeah, that that's an important piece. Well, now we'll we'll go to Eric. How do you get your uh, how do you get your your young people to come to you? Oh uh, yeah, people always talk about word of mouth, and I've gone back and forth with that. Um, at first, I I saw it working for me. Then I thought, well, let me try some technology. Um, and what I found is that technology is needed, especially you have to be good with content management systems and customer relation management systems. But in the end. It comes back down to that, which is word of mouth. That is such an important thing. Just do a really good job with the people you have and make them into fans. But they want to go out and talk to other people. They're not clients. They're not just patrons. But they become fans, and they start to talk about you, and they want to talk about you just the way fanatics of a soccer team do. So I realize that that has been the number one selling point is word of mouth. Okay. Um, You have three facilities. You're located in Texas. Whereabouts in Texas? Austin, Texas. So Mm -hmm. a little bit north Austin. I started out on the banks of the Colorado River, which kind of dissects the city of Austin. It's working outside, and it was really hot, and then it started raining, and I said, gosh, i got to get a roof over my head. Um, So what did you do? Very little money. So what well, you, you know, I got the money together, you know, my mother and, like, I, I at that time I, I took, like, a student loan. I was still, you know, doing my master's, and and I just kind of took a risk, um, and, and not really did you knowing. Build a, <laughs> did you build a facility? Yes. The facilities are indoor. They're about the size of a Starbucks, so they're not really um, what you'd think, Um and and I try to tell people like this, you know, um, big sort of complexes or soccer pl- soccer complexes, those places rent out sort of the field. They're like hardware companies. But my business is like a software company. Uh, we teach kids how to play soccer. Um, and so we don't need a big space. We, we, um, we just need four walls, some turf, and it's a more intimate experience in terms of like – being able to give that direction and, and create new moves. So uh, I had a vision that you're out there in the middle of uh, of a field and, uh, you know, they're running, but you're really concentrating on how they, to move their feet, how to control the ball, how to hit the ball with the head, et cetera. Am I right on that? Yeah, I think that um, that's something that has kind of been missed with soccer the sports in America are based on power and performance. In other words, football, how hard can you hit? Baseball, how fast can you swim? I mean, swing the bat. How, you know, a basketball, how high can you jump? But soccer is just about the creativity of the moves. Often there's no score in the game. So that's another reason you asked earlier, you know, why I hadn't it taken on at first? Because it's an acquired taste. Um, but I kind of started this business with, that creativity in mind. We don't even have soccer goals in these fields. We spend the time working on creative moves, and kids love that. Oh, uh, is okay. It's you. Do you have a staff? Uh, yes, indeed. I mean, we have uh, about eighteen people on board. Between um, the people who work with the website, brand management. Uh, marketing, creative direction, search engine optimization, but then we also have the training staff. Well, how do you find your training staff? Um, Well, that's a good question. Um, It's something I'm always looking for. Sometimes um, people come to me, uh, people refer, and I really am like, I really care about the skill level of the children. However, I mean, of the of the coach, but I'm really looking for that they care about children and that they have a certain mental endurance that if they step on the field to do a lesson, that they kind of, they can be what I call in business, be present with the client. 
you know, and if they have these certain qualities, this mix, I tend to cut them a lot of slack and will work with them one-on-one until I kind of get them um, to a point where I feel like they can render the brand. So I just, I look for the qualities and and go from there. And if, you know what? If I don't have a spot for that person, I'll make the spot. You know, if they're good and they have those things, I'll make the spot. So, so you, so you find people, uh, which most small businesses will tell you is the toughest part of their job uh, is finding the right people. And if they don't have all of the skills, you'll teach them. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. I, I, like I said, I think that I'm not just looking for the methodology, or in other words, in this case, skills. I'm looking for a certain sociology that they care deeply about helping kids. And if they have those basic tenets, then, yes, I'm willing to really work with people. But, yeah, my advice to any business owner is that you really do have to find the right people because, you know, as a friend of mine used to say, ecosystems outlast organisms. You have to be able to have the people around you that you can defer to, that you can trust, that you feel good about. What what do you think? You know, that's, uh, uh, you know, Eric, so the best, some of the best employers I've ever seen and been around. Uh, the saying "hire for attitude, teach skills," uh, and uh, I think uh, it sounds to me like you uh, you kind of got that picture. Uh, sure, sure. I, well, I, ho- I hope so. I had to learn a lot of this organically. In fact, it's so funny that uh, I never think of myself as a business person. But I've been asked to speak uh, by the Chamber of Commerce, and and um, at some point several years ago, I started to see myself that way. That that maybe I have developed some business acumen, um, and 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 kind of take pride in that. But I do think um, I I like to say I was a creative soccer player, and the common denominator for me is that creativity really is the currency of business. And I think that's a very important thing for business owners to understand. Um, and you can see the proof in the pudding when, when the sort of economy tanked in 2007, you could see unemployment in the uh, like up to 18% in the manufacturing sector, up to 18% in the service sector. But when you look at the private sector, something like 3 4%, because these little creative businesses have that ability to survive using that creativity. It's a very important thing that I think gets um, undervalued. That was a that's a really uh, accurate statement. Uh, very very interesting, uh, gentlemen. Do you want to stay on? Uh, our next guest is one I've been looking forward to. Um, you, you, you're welcome to stay on or, or drop off as you will. Hey, but Don, I, I have to, uh, I have to drop off the line, uh, but it was an absolute pleasure. Eric, uh, we've got a very, very good global garage guy in San Antonio and I get down there fairly often. Uh, uh, next time I get down there, I'll give you a call and, and I'll come up to Austin and see, I, I didn't, I'd enjoy that. Yeah, I actually took notes. I'll flatter you by telling you I actually took notes on some of the things you said. So, yeah, I'd love to meet with you. Okay, fantastic. All right, gentlemen, I'm going to get off the phone. Thank you very much. Wait, Lance, before you do, how do people, what's your website? Oh, sorry about that. It's globalgarageflooring.com. Say it again. Globalgarageflooring.com. Well, uh, really glad having you, and you have to come back, and we'll talk more about franchising. Uh, it'd, be, it'd be my pleasure. Just let me know when you want me. You got it. Thanks. Uh, Bye. Take care, Eric. Eric if you want to stay yeah. on. Uh, I actually have to go myself. Um, I have a all right. very important. And um, I just wanted to thank you personally again for having me on. And, uh, it's a great resource, and I, I, I'm really impressed with what you're doing by offering this to to business owners. I love the title, too, Garage to Office. That's just so uh, succinct. <laughs> so but thank Eric, you so much. Wait, wait. Before you go, tell us your website. Oh, yeah. It's avilasoccer.com, so A-V-I-L-A, avilasoccer.com. And uh, pretty easy to find, hopefully. It should pop up quickly. <laughs> okay.
Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Martin Kettlehut. Yes. Martin, are you on? I am indeed. Yeah, good to hear you. Well, good to hear you. I've been looking forward to uh, having you on the show. Uh, I think yeah, why is that? Fab- <laughs> I thought your book was fabulous. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. You know, my father used to say to me, uh, uh, "Listen, keep your mouth shut and listen, and that's mm. how you will succeed." And uh, um, I just. Uh, as I read it, I was thinking of my father. Well, I hope it was with the good memory of your father. Oh, of course. We uh, over the years when they're gone, you you mainly remember the good things. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, I'm there uh, too. Uh, Martin, uh, first we always ask our guests to tell a little bit about themselves before we get into anything else. Okay. Well, I I wrote this book. It's called Listen Till You Disappear. Um, It comes out of my experience as a small business coach. And um, it's about listening so deeply and so uh, widely at the same time that, that all of the stuff that's going on in our heads and in our um, busy lives actually comes to a place of peace and there's there's an ability to hear things that we didn't hear before so the you that disappears is the you that's striving to get somewhere and seeking to make things right and all of that all of that struggle in life and what i found in my coaching practices as i listened deeper and wider i can get to that point in a coaching call where I disappear and it's just listening that's there healing my client. So that tells you a little bit about me. I'm a coach. I've been doing it for a while and I'm a really good listener and people's businesses get healed through this listening process of coaching. Well, well, I uh, what I got out of out of your book and what I've got out of life, and I don't know, there was a to me a lot of uh, is that the more you listen, the the uh, the better you learn, and more importantly, uh, the better people learn to trust you. That's that's absolutely true. In fact, um, a, a very wise man in my life said to me that you can the value of a person's words are in direct proportion to the number of them that they use. <laughs> you know, like if, if somebody is listening very carefully and only using a few choice words to express themselves, then we pay very close attention to those few words because they, they're more potent. Well, you know, um, uh, Eleanor Roosevelt used to judge people by how long it took them to say the pronoun I. Uh, mm-hmm. you know. Very good. That's yeah. I, uh, the uh, other thing about this that I, I think doesn't get pointed out very often, I do mention it a few places in the book, is that you know when when you really are uh, out of your own way and fully present for another human being, it's a very joyful place. You know, all that struggling and strife in the mind. When it's put aside, and you, like if you're listening to a concert, or if you're listening to your your baby daughter saying her first words, like there's a there's an there's an uh, sort of ecstasy that comes about. I experience that when I'm coaching and I let go of all my troubles, and I'm really there for the other person because I'm not focused on my stuff. I'm I'm in a very happy place. So there, there is this personal side benefit to opening yourself up to others. Is that it's actually, it's actually a beautiful experience. Well, but how do you do? How does one learn to listen? Um, that's a great question. It's a very good question, and um, there are a couple of things that I would say about that. One is that 
listening actually will teach you how to listen and what you need to do to allow listening to teach you is how to do it is to clear your mind so one of the things that that you can experiment right here now with me on the phone is if you if you put forget about our conversation for a moment and just put your attention on the sensual experience that your body is having right now. Just take a moment to focus on the feeling of your clothing, on your skin, and the subtle play of air around your face, and the smells in the room. Now, now, just check in. What are you thinking about right now? Probably not very much. The mind goes blank when we plug into the present moment, and the senses only work in the present moment. And so this is yeah. a very simple exercise that you can do that will have you listen better, is just come into the present by checking in with your senses. It'll It'll put away the thoughts for a moment. You can't be doing both thinking and sensing at the same time. They right. One takes the place of the other. So this is, and then once you do have your thinking out of the way, your mind is clear, then your listening will teach you quite a bit. But let me give you a, just one or two other pointers about how to learn to listen. And one of them is that... Um, you want to you want to focus on the attitude of the moment the 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 dynamic at a general level this will often tell you much more than the specific words that people say they can actually be very misleading but if you listen to the tone of their voice if you listen to the attitude behind what they're saying right this 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 way that the other person is being Right, they're being angry, even though they're saying something very mundane, or they're being very nice, even though they're saying something very critical. That will tell you quite a bit. So, follow the tone is is my second uh, observation about how to learn to listen. Follow the tone. Um, the third thing that I would offer you at this you know, at this early juncture in in my teaching you how to listen is um to listen for the um what I call the unsaid. That's that's a v thank you. That's exactly the way I would put it. Mhm. Mm it's the unsaid. You can you can hear it in the cracks of what is being said. You can hear it in the innuendos. You can hear it in the space between the paragraphs. And that's absolutely brilliant. That's a great way of saying it. Thank you. Yeah. So those well, are just a few tips. But, um, you know, the first and foremost, you got to have a clear mind. If you're going to hear anything new, I mean, think about it. If your head is full and you're, you're – you're thinking about the bottom line and how much you need to get out and hit the pavement and you're worried about paying your bills and all this and somebody comes up and says something to you that's very sweet and and nice, you're probably not going to even take it in because your head is full of other stuff. Absolutely. And if you can, you can get your mind cleared, well, you know, you could meditate or you could go exercise. These are ways to get the mind clear. Then you're going to really be able to take in, you're going to be able to, like, for example, why that employee of yours is having such a hard time. You've just been, you've, your head has been full of, this doesn't work. I'm angry. I'm impatient. I can't deal with this. You're not going to be able to hear what that employee really needs to do the job well. So there's that's an example. Well, you know, I've been a reporter over 50 years, and uh, somewhat of what you said was told to me as a very young reporter. And, uh -huh. uh, <clears throat> and 
uh, I, I've been known over the years as being a very good listener. Um, but, but, but I never knew why until you just explained it. Because when I'm being a reporter, all I'm doing is being really attuned to the other person. Nothing else right. matters. And, and uh, I've never understood why I've had such great success at that. Let me ask you this question as a listener. Uh, Perhaps the toughest thing people have to learn is that moment of silence, the time when someone stops uh, talking, and the natural reaction is to start talking, but the, the best reaction is to not say anything and let the moment sink in, because oftentimes the most important comments come right after that moment of silence from the original talker. Mm-hmm. I think you mentioned that in the book in a somewhat different form, much better form than I just did. But um, you want, would you like to talk about that at all? Um, yeah. So, well, let me, let me ask you why you bring it up so that I, when I can address the, what's most interesting to you about it. Well, for me, um, I wanted to just to get deeper into your book, and that uh, and that was one of the things I got out of your book that I realized that something. Well, it's something they teach you in uh, when you're doing a negotiation. Always, uh, if someone stops, don't necessarily rush in. But I've also learned that in life that if you keep quiet for a moment. Sometimes the most interesting things come out. Well, uh, and you know what? I What I want to say about that in the context of this conversation is that you can listen to your business in a similar way. We're, we're so prone to dive in, you know, when there's a lull or, you know, when people aren't showing up at the door and asking, you know, for our services or, or when – when you know you first get to your desk in the morning and there's this question of what to do first and any of these times like in a conversation when there's a pause it's a great time to listen to your business like you would listen to your wife or you like you were listening to your son just take a moment to listen to where is my business what is its mood right now what does it need you know how does it fit into the community uh, you know that we can learn a lot by by doing that same uh, enjoyment of the moment and and listening deeper into the pause. You can do it with the business as a whole itself as well. That's and I think that's very important because I meet a lot of small business people who they're not really listening to where they fit in. They're trying to be you know something that they're not. And yet yeah. there is a very good place for them in the economy of their community, but they're 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 too busy trying to create themselves to be something that doesn't really fit there. And so it's important to listen to in to create pauses, in fact, to listen to your business. So I think, you know, most of the people that I coach have gotten to the point where they now take at least a half an hour a day just to sit back and sort of listen to their business. And I and I I think you can kind of get what I mean by that like where do we fit in? How are we doing? What is most needed right now for us? Rather than just plowing ahead and keeping busy, it's not it's not always the best policy to just keep busy. It might be worth stopping and pausing and listening. Amen. That's that is a great point. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I, I often wish in, in this in my business that I, I took as much time. So let's have another. Let's have another point from your book. I'm learning a lot, and I hope our audience is as well. Okay. Would you like me to pick a point? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I, I try to let my guests talk and go the direction they want to do. Well, one of the things that I have found in the last 18 years helps to create a deeper listening is to 
go to the person with whom you're having difficulty. Like, they seem to want to take the business in a different direction, or they don't seem to understand what your goal is and why and what they need to do to contribute. There's some strife in the small business. In order to create the ability for that person to hear you and you for to, to really hear them, you there's a kind of conversation that's very simple that you can have that will op- reopen the ability to hear each other. And I call it a clearing conversation because what you do is you come together and you say, like, I'm preoccupied by this fact. Like, I'm having trouble really hearing you because I got upset when you said X, Y, Z. Or um, I'm, I'm, I'm finding it hard to get to work in a, in a productive way this morning because of that, the, you know, that paper that you put on my desk last night. Whatever it might be, it's best to clear these things that are disallowing our listening, that are clogging up the listening. Make yourself bring them t- into conversation. Get vocal about what's on your mind so that you can then um, clear those things. If you state it to the other person or if you just write it down sometimes, then you have the ability to put it aside and get back to focus productivity. If you don't, if you just let it float around in your mind and influence your day, then you're not going to really hear the needs that are presenting themselves. You're, you're going to be distracted. So a clearing conversation, just to get it off your chest. And you can, you can actually say it that way. You can say, there's something I need to just say so that it doesn't get in my way. And I invite you to do the same. This is a very simple tool that reopens the ability to hear each other and be productive. Wow. Uh, and is this as effective when you're dealing with your employees as well? It's effective with with any other human being. Your you know, your spouse or your family or your employees or your boss, <laughs> whichever the case may be. Just, you know, the the trick is to to present it in the right way, to say, look, there's something that's on my mind and I don't want it to get in the way. And so I'm going to tell you and I want you to understand that I just want to get this off my off my mind. And then then you can have a productive conversation. You can actually hear each other again. Fascinating. The name of your book again? Listen Till You Disappear. And where uh, where can people get it, and where can they get, uh, uh, reach you? Um, you can get the book online. Uh, you can go to Amazon or Barnes and Nobles. They have both the hardcover and or soft cover and electronic versions. Um, that's the best place to buy the book. And to get in touch with me, best place is www.listeningisthekey.com. Listening is the key. That's a great title for a, a, a website. <laughs> it's true. I find myself saying it several times a day. <laughs> Listening is the key. Uh, really glad you came to, tonight. I, I look forward. Uh, I want you to come back uh, later on in the year. Uh, I'm going to put together a program about communication, and I think you'd be really an ex- excellent guest. So, uh, well, uh, I'm I'd really be very happy told. to be there. Uh, I hope our audience learned as much as I did about uh, listening, because I think it's such a critical uh, for anybody. Well, that you, just to make a quick last point, my goodness, what our world needs most right now is for to hear each other, absolutely. Uh, on that note, let's end the program because it's a, a really great uh, comment. Thank you, uh, Martin, for being with us. And uh, you, every- I appreciate the opportunity to be heard. <laughs> well, uh, hopefully, uh, our our listeners were listening and they learned something. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening tonight. 
All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience add profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.